Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Recent study conducted, uh, I think, two years ago found out that uh, 16% of the UK population worry about money every single day. Another 48% of the UK population worry about money regularly, meaning either every month or every week. And of those people who feel worried about money, 55% of them don't feel comfortable talking about it despite being worried about it, okay? So a lot of people worried about money, a lot of people not feeling like they can share it. Top reasons why people, this study found, why people don't like to talk about money. Number one reason, shame or embarrassment. Second reason, people don't want, according to this study, don't want to talk about money, not wanting to burden others. And third reason, people, this study found, don't want to talk about money is because they weren't brought up to talk about money. You know, it's not the thing we ever did in our family. Another study um, conducted actually 2021 uh, found that a third of people in the UK struggle to talk to anyone about their money issues, even their partners, okay? Even their partners. And uh, another study found that even when people do talk to their partners about money, uh, it leads to arguments. It's the most common thing that leads to arguments. Of people who admitted arguing with their partners, which there's got to be some deluded people who like... <laughs> think they don't, but of the people who admitted they argue with their partners, 62% said, look, we argue about money. It's probably higher, to be honest. Those are just people being honest. It's probably higher. (laughs) So there's this thing in our country where we don't like to talk about money, and I'm sure there's exceptions, but generally we don't like to talk about money, and when we do, it can often lead to arguments. And then there's this other interesting stat, which came out from another study just last year, 2022. Apparently, 35 people don't like talking about money so much that 35% of our population which rises, interestingly, to 60% of the population in the 18 to 24-year-old category, would rather talk about their health problems than money. You know, it's like, would you rather talk about your ingrown toenail or your hemorrhoids or money? Oh, hemorrhoids and ingrown toenail all day long. I do not want to talk about money. So there's this issue where we're, we don't like talking about money. So guess what we're going to talk about today? We are going to talk about money today. We're going to talk about money. I'll be honest with you, preparing this sermon, I was sent to people earlier, I was like, I've chopped and changed so much in the sermon this week. I've been like, I don't know how it's going to go down. What I've found in the past is when I've preached on money, sometimes it goes okay. Sometimes what happens is people nod along and smile, but you can see in their eyes, Barriers up, you know, you ain't getting to my heart, like nothing's changing here, you know. I'll laugh at your jokes, but there ain't anything going to change here. And I've seen that in the past. So my prayer this morning, I was sharing in our, in our prayer time, I said, look, just Lord, I just pray that the barriers don't go up. People's hearts remain open to what we say here this morning. And I think, I think this is one area where we can actually stand out from the world. 
by talking about money. Clearly, the rest of the country, there is issues with talking with money. But I think for us as believers, talking about money is so, as a way that we can stand out from the world. And also, I don't want this to be one of those like money sermons that is all like down on money. It's like, you know, there's this verse in the Bible and money and evil are mentioned in the same sentence. So money must be evil. It's like, uh, you know. Yeah, money can be a root of all types of evil, but it's not the root of all types of evil. So I want us this morning to be positive about money. Yes, I'm sure we all know that money can cause problems. It can cause arguments. It can cause fallouts. I mean, hands up, who knows of someone who has had a big falling out over an inheritance, okay? I know a number of people, you know, three or four children, their mom and dad, they die. And it's like, I want this. I want that. Big argument. People don't talk to each other all over money. So we know that money can cause problems, but also money can do a lot of good as well if it's used really well. I mean, I don't know if you heard recently, um, Bill Gates, uh, Bill Gates is like, uh, I think we can just get rid of polio, like the disease. I think we can just eradicate it. Like it's within reach. So he's like, I'm just going to put this big lump of money towards getting rid of polio. And, and actually, probably in the next few months to a year, you will hear something in the news where they have eradicated a disease, an awful disease called polio worldwide. And they've done that using money. Money can be used for a lot of good. But also, it's not just on the big things, but money can be used you know, on much smaller things as well. I remember back in July... We had the unfortunate event of, I don't know if anyone's ever, you know, had something like this, where our dishwasher and our boiler died on the same week. I'm like, how unfortunate can be that, you know? You save up, you think, oh, save up for things that happen. And then both two huge things happen. The same week. Oh, gosh. I was talking to a friend from church. And I was like, man, we've boiler, dishwasher, both gone same week. We can't afford to replace both. And he just said, look, Andy, I'll do your dishwasher. Come on. Much you need. I'll give you, and he did. He gave us the money to buy a dishwasher. So it was, it was a really good thing he did with money. So money can be used to do really good things. But it's a topic that we, we can't avoid talking about. We've got to talk about money. The reason we've got to talk about money is because our entire lives are affected by money, whether we like it or not. Our lives are affected also by our attitudes towards money as well. So we've got to talk about it. So as a church... I believe it's really important that we talk about money and we talk in particular about how to use it wisely and how to use it in a godly way. So that's why we're starting this week a four week sermon series on money. This is the first of them. The four week series is entitled, Where is Your Treasure? Where is your treasure? So over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at some principles that help us manage our money. We're going to be looking at the principle of less is more, stress is bad, giving is good, and tomorrow matters. Okay? Now, we're going to go through these. We're going to get everybody to say them with me. Can we do that? Is it up here? (coughs) Yes, it is. All you need to do is read. Okay? We're going to look at what? Less is more, stress is bad, giving is good, Tomorrow matters. Now, I'm going to mess with your heads. We're going to do it backwards. Okay, I'm not saying say the words backwards. We're going to go back the other way. Okay, just to clarify. So, tomorrow matters. Giving is good. Stress is bad. Less is more. So, that's what we're going to be looking at over these next four weeks. Now, you've probably guessed what most of them are about. So, tomorrow matters. That's about saving. Giving is good. Any guesses what that's about? 
giving, obviously. Stress is bad. It's about the stress that's been caused by money, oftentimes due to debt. And then this morning is less is more. It's about spending. Okay, so we're going to look at these four things over the next four weeks. So as I said, this morning, we're going to look at the principle, less is more. Now, if you're like me, you will have been brought up being taught that more is better. One pound is good. Two pounds is better. You know, one car is good. Two cars is, two cars are, probably, <laughs> better. Yeah, we've, we've been taught that. One holiday is good, two holidays are better. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, something like fantastic. One house is good, but hey, who doesn't want that holiday home? Two houses it is better, you know? A three-bed house is good, a six-bed house is way better. Of course, we've all been brought up on more is better. But that's not always true, though. More is not always better, okay? Now, you may have noticed something up here that's not normally here. My bowl of, these are, if you're wondering, Skittles. If you're hoping I'm going to give you all one, that's not part of the talk. So um, you can probably nick some at the end. I won't notice. Um, Also, if you're wondering, this music stand has been tightened very sturdily. So don't spend the whole sermon wondering if it's going to fall. It is not going to fall. It's okay, unless I knock it over, right? But if you think of those little kids, they all went out. If we invited one of them back in and we said, here is a handful of Skittles. That kid would be very happy, wouldn't it? And they would munch them very quickly. Okay? If after they'd munched all the Skittles, I went and said, here, have some more. Would the more be better? Mm -hmm. It would be better in the short term. Okay? Jamie said yes. So Jamie could be the person that would clean up the sick. You know? (laughs) Two, one, one handful's good. Two handfuls. You've got a kid that's spewing Skittles everywhere. Now, have you ever seen someone eat too many Skittles and then be sick? Anyone ever seen that? Anyone ever seen that? I mean, you're, if, you, if you've got nothing on this afternoon, Google that. You know, you know the slogan for, slogan for Skittles is, taste the rainbow? I mean, when you see a kid that's been sick from eating too many Skittles, you see the rainbow, okay? You see it in that sick. I mean, it's the most multicolored sick you have ever seen. Trust me, okay? More is not always better, okay? One handful for those kids is good. Two handfuls, not so good, all right? Just before Christmas, I, uh, I got a, a tummy bug, virus. I think half the church did, didn't we? It was a, like 24-hour sickness bug. Recovered from it. Two or three days later, I'm like, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm eating pretty normally. I'm feeling okay. We had this like Christmas event, Christmas party at someone's house from church. I went along and there was loads of cheese, really nice cheese. There was loads of cured meat. Someone brought some gammon along, which just looks so good. So I started eating some cheese. I thought I'm good with this. And then I had some more cheese and some more cheese. And I don't know why this evening had all the foods that are the most difficult to digest foods. And then I saw some of the cured meats and I had some of them and then I had some more and then I had some more and I thought, well, that gammon looks so good and no one else is having any. So I had some of that and then I had some more and I had some more and I felt great. I was full, I had a lovely time. Then I came home 
and at about three in the morning, my stomach decided less is definitely more. Okay? And the results were not pretty, all right? Sometimes less is more. Sometimes less is more. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 6 says this Better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. What it's basically saying is less is more. Now, less is more doesn't come natural to us. It doesn't come natural to us. Something tells us, oh, if I can just have a little bit more, then I'll be all right. If I can just have a little bit more, then I'll be happy. If I can just have a little bit more, I'll be, I'll be okay. The problem is about always wanting a bit more is you're never satisfied. You know, it's this great picture we have in that verse of chasing after the wind. Anybody as a kid ever chase after the wind? Oh, catch the wind. You're never going to catch the winds. And, and there's, there's this idea of we're, we're chasing after it with both hands. And this is this idea of using both your hands to work so hard to chase after the wind that you've never got any time to actually enjoy what you earn, to enjoy what you have. And that's the idea we're talking about here, toiling so much with those two hands so that you just, you're chasing after the wind and you can never get it. You know, if you go to a toddler group, one thing that regularly happens is there'll be a child playing with some toys, happily playing away with their toys. Then another child comes along to play with the same toys. And what happens normally is, and I've seen in my experience, is the first child leans down, grabs hold of all the toys, grabs them and pulls them towards himself. Bit like this, holds onto them. I have a two-year-old daughter, Grace. I've seen her do this so many times. Beforehand, she was happily playing with the toys, enjoying the toys. Now, all of a sudden, she's just holding the toys like this. And the thing is, when you do that, she's doing that, so she, the other kid doesn't have any toys. But when you do that, you've got two hands holding onto the toys. It means you can't actually enjoy the toys. You can't play with them anymore. There's no joy in it. You're just holding what you have. And you know, our culture encourages us to be like that toddler. Our culture encourages us to go for more. Always go for more, go for more, go for more. I mean, our advertising industry is based on the whole idea that more is better. More gadgets, more clothes, more stuff, more whatever. More is better, more is better. The more we have, the more fulfilled we'll be. The more we have, the better we'll feel. The more we have, the more others will be impressed with us. The more we have, others may love us more. The more we have, the more successful we'll be. The more we have, the more secure we'll be. The more we have, I mean, this is the real stinger. The more we have, the less anxious we'll be about the future. I mean, that's the lie of all lies. But oh, it's like, that's what the advertising industry is selling us. And the average person sees thousands of ads per day. Thousands of ads per day. And, and the subliminal message is more is better, more is better, more is better. So my question is, how can we, how can we shake off the more is better mindset and embrace the less is more mindset? Well, Jesus helps us understand this less is more mindset a bit in this parable that he shared in Luke chapter 12. It says this, Luke 12, verse 16 to 21. It says this, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. 
And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. And there's a few principles that Jesus teaches us in this parable. And I just want to draw them out. The first is, the first thing that we see in this parable is we can't take anything with us when we die. I mean, I know we know that, but it's good to have a reminder. We can't take anything with us when we die. In history, many uh, cultures, I mean, I'm a bit of a history nerd, but in ma- many cultures believed that um, you could take things with you into the afterlife. I mean, the Egyptians were big on this. I mean, they, they made a big deal of of, of filling their, their tombs with loads of stuff, believing that that was going to go with them into the afterlife. What they even did as well was they'd even, they'd even have, a lot of rich Egyptians back then would even have their servants killed and buried with them so that they could serve them in the afterlife. That's what they believed. They believed you could take loads of stuff with you and they wanted to be rich in the afterlife. However, when we read Ecclesiastes, the writer of Ecclesiastes reminds us that we can take nothing with us. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 20 says this, All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. And you know, I think one person who actually kind of had this a little bit nailed, you might be surprised at this, was Alexander the Great. Apparently, Alexander the Great requested that when he was buried... Um, one of his arms was to, to hang out of his coffin naked, a naked arm hanging out of his coffin to show everyone that naked he came into the world and naked he would leave it. No matter all the, all the wealth he amassed, naked he came into the world, naked he would leave it. I'm thinking, okay, well, when I'm planning my funeral, I will maybe take that on board. Maybe not. Anyway, but that's what he, that's, apparently that's what he requested. So that's the first principle we see from this parable. We can't take anything with us when we die. Second principle we see from this parable, which helps us go from a more is better mindset to a less is more mindset, is this life is not all there is. You know, there is another life after this life ends. Okay, I'll say that again. There is another life after this life ends. I mean, you wouldn't know it by how much we just think about this life and not about the next, but there is, you know, like YOLO. We're all about YOLO, aren't we? It's not true. Yeah, you only have once. Yeah, come on. No, there's life after this one. Yeah. I love uh, Francis Chan, the American pastor. He, uh, he has this great illustration where he gets this like, like 40 foot long piece of rope. And like it stretches the whole way around the church. And then he gets, he gets the end of the rope, about this size, about an inch long, and it's dipped in red. And he basically, see this red bit? This is your life on earth. That's your life on earth. The rest, that's eternity. You know, and it's just this great way of thinking, ah, reminding us this life is not all there is. There is another life when this life ends. Okay? And the third principle we see from this passage is... It's quite simply, what really matters? You know, like uh, sometimes as a pastor, one of the things I'll get to do is spend time with people who have had a terminal diagnosis. So people who know they're dying, they know 
they're going to die soon. Could be three months, could be six months, could be a year, but they know they're going. And what's really interesting with those people is they know what matters. They don't waste time on stuff that doesn't matter anymore. They spend a lot of time sacking off a lot of stuff. They're not going to bother that, 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 or that. I'm focused on this, this, and this, because that's all that matters. There's a real clarity. And, and the parable we have here says, when we live to always have a bit more, like the rich man in the story, what happens is we lose sight of what really matters in life. Like if we look at the rich man here in this story, the rich man was already rich. You know, you have this huge harvest and then he gets even richer. But all he can think about is how to use the extra wealth to make his life more comfortable, to be more happy, more relaxed, more at ease. He's no regards for others or for God. And in the words of Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 6, the verse we mentioned at the beginning, the rich man here, he wasn't content with one handful of tranquility. Instead, he had two hands full of toil and he was chasing after them, chasing for more, chasing for more. So that's why less is more. You know, when we have two hands full, when we have two hands full, I'm going to risk moving away from the bowl. I hope I'm not going to drop any skittles. But when we have two hands full, our options are limited, aren't they? When I've got two, if I walk around here afterwards, I've got two hands full of skittles. There's a lot of things I can't do. I can't drink any tea. I can't shake your hand. I can't open a door for you, can I? I've got two hands full. And it's the same with life. You know, when you've got two hands full of toil and striving after getting more, what happens is there's a lot of things you can't do. You, you can't reach out to help people. You can't do loads and loads of things. But if, for example, I've got one hand, what all of a sudden can I do? If I've got one hand full, I can reach a hand out and I can help someone, can't I? If I've got one hand full, what can I do? I can give to someone. If I got one hand, also what can I do? One handful. I can sleep. How many people? Two hands full of toil. Not getting much sleep. One handful allows you to sleep. There's a lot of things you can do when you've only got one handful rather than two handfuls of toil. And this image, two handfuls of toil, it's this image of working so hard to keep what we have that we have little room for joy or anything else. So we here as believers, we're called to live differently. We're called not just to strive for more, but we're called to be content with what we have. We're called to look at what we have and think, how can I give stuff away? How can I bless others with the things? Do I really need that or that or that? Now, it's not a call to poverty. It's not a call to not having nice stuff. It's a call to maybe have a few less things that you love rather than like loads of stuff that you don't really care about. That's what it's a call to. It's a call to have a simple life, to bless others through having a simple life and to look at what God's got for us, to look to the future, to be like, wow, look at what God's got coming for us in heaven. You know, Matthew 6, verse 19 to 20, I'm sure many of you have heard it before. Jesus says this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in where? Heaven, yeah, where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So here Jesus tells us what really matters. Something the rich man in the parable lost sight of. See, storing up treasures in heaven, that's what matters. Way better than storing up treasures on earth. 
So big question is, what is treasure in heaven? Yeah, big reveal. Um, well, you might be a bit disappointed. I'm, um, I'm not 100% sure. So um, yeah, sorry about that, everyone. Uh, but from what Jesus says, it sounds pretty awesome. I mean, heavenly treasure has a good ring to it, doesn't it? I think, yeah, that, I think that's going to be good, not bad, <laughs> whatever it is. And Jesus is also definitely clear it's going to be way better and longer lasting than any treasure we could have here. It's a bit like, it's a bit like when, you know, Elizabeth um, is getting a Christmas present from me. You know, it's before Christmas. She hasn't opened it. She doesn't know what it is totally, but she knows it's going to be awesome. You know, that's kind of what, that's kind of what treasure in heaven is like. Okay. I don't get the full deal. Jesus says it's going to be awesome. I believe him. You know, Elizabeth has that level of trust in me when I buy a Christmas present. Absolutely. Yeah. How do you get treasure in heaven then? Okay. How do we get it? Well, first thing you got to do, I mean, this is no brainer really. You got to trust in Jesus. You got to be a Christian. You got to be going to heaven. You want to get some treasure there. So that's the first thing. And the second thing you do real simply to summarize is live life God's way. Really? Um, live life God's way. And if you want to, you know, know how to do that, I mean, read the Sermon on the Mount. You know, there's a bunch of things. I made a list of some of the things in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, you want to build up treasure in heaven. Here's some things. Be humble and pure in heart. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Show mercy. Make peace. Be persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Be salt and light. Be the light of the world. Follow God's commands. Resist anger. Be faithful to your spouse. Keep your word. Turn the other cheek. Provide for physical needs. Go the extra mile. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Give to the needy. And the list goes on and on and on. There's loads of ways where we can build treasure in heaven. And part of how we can build treasure in heaven is how we use our money. We can use treasure here to get treasure on ahead. You know, uh, the American pastor Rick Warren put it really well. I love the way he puts this. He says, the way you store up treasure in heaven is investing in getting people there. So give some money so that people can hear the gospel or get a Bible, become Christians and get there. And then he says, basically what that means is when you get to heaven, there's going to be a whole group of people waiting there and be like, I'm here because of you. Thank you. I'm, I'm your friend forever. Yeah, and you're going to make some friends in heaven. I'm like, what a great way of using your money. Isn't that fantastic? You're going to have a bunch of people be like, I'm here because of you. Thank you. So we can use our money to build up treasure in heaven. Now, notice here in these verses, Jesus makes a connection between treasure and our heart. You notice that? And what we care about, what we do with our money. What we care about and what we do with our money, they're connected. That's what Jesus is saying here. What we care about, what we do with our money are connected. So my question here this morning is, very simply, what do you care most about in life? Okay, that's it. No strings out. What do you care most about in life? What's important to you? What's really important to you? And then my next question is, have you made a plan to put some money towards those things? Now, for me, recently, I made a list. Now, this is going to sound super grand and maybe a bit poncy, but I made a list of my investment priorities. It makes me sound like I have like, loads of money to invest. But anyway, I made a list of my investment priorities. And basically what these are 
It's just a list of a few things that when I get old and I am, I don't know, in a nursing home somewhere and I look back at my life, I I, want to look back at my life and think, okay, I'm really glad that I have invested in those things. And that's the things. That's my investment priority. So I'm going to put them up. So I've got five. I've got five things that I want to invest in with my money in my life. Okay. First, I want to invest in great faith experiences for my kids. When I was a kid, uh, my parents sent me to some Christian camps. I loved it. There was just, I heard about Jesus. I heard about God. I, I learned about him in a, in a new way, in a fresh way. It was so helpful for me. And I want to invest in those things from, for our kids. So summer camps, uh, at CCM, we, run new, we go to New Day, which is a big Christian festival. Things where the kid, my kids are going to hear great things about God. They're going to come back and be like, whoa, God is amazing. Now, I can't make my kids become Christians, but I can send them to places where they're going to have amazing experiences of what it means to follow God and see some great things. That's the first thing I want to invest in, okay? Summer camps, those kind of things can be expensive, so I want to invest in that. Second thing I want to invest in is my marriage. So that is, you know, spending time with Elizabeth, going for dinner, going out places, going for trips, those kind of things. We're kind of emerging from kids being really young. So we're kind of emerging back into having a bit of time to do that. So I want to put some money into that. My third investment priority is the church. I want to give money to the church. So Elizabeth and I, we give 10% of our income to church. That's our tithe. We also give a little bit to an organization who helps the persecuted church as well. That's something close to our heart as well. So Christians around the world who are persecuted for our faith, we want to invest in that and invest in our local church. Because the reality is, if you don't invest in your local church, who else is going to invest in it? You know, so that's what we want to do. Fourth investment priority is giving to the poor. So we want to have some money to give to the Give Big Special offering every time there's an offering to the poor. But also, Elizabeth and I, we sponsor some children through Compassion. We sponsor three kids through Compassion, which basically provides them with all they need. These children are in in poorer countries across the world, provides them with education, upbringing, provides them with teaching on what it means to be a Christian. And we want to commit to supporting those kids in poorer nations right up until they reach adulthood. So that's something that's important for us as well. And also the fifth investment priority is just fun, you know, having some fun things in life. So for me, I love to go and watch football matches every now and again. Costs a bit of money to go and watch football matches. But it's fun. I like it. One of the things Liz and I have done, we've got a National Trust card. Now, for you, you may not think it's fun to walk around old buildings, but I quite like it. So again, it's just another fun thing. It's important to have some fun things in there. Those are my investment priorities. Now, you might be sitting thinking, okay, well, what about you know food, bills, mortgage, all that kind of stuff? Well, I, the way Elizabeth and I work is we, what we try and do is we try and live on 80% of our income, Give 10% to church and other things and then save 10% as, as well. That's what we, we try to do. That's our aim, the 80-10-10 principle. So the, obviously the food mortgage comes into the 80 bit and we use the rest for these priorities. But basically what I want us to grasp is that all the money that we have, however much it may be, you may have a little bit, you may have a lot, all the money that we have is a great opportunity for us to do good in this world, but good that will outlive us, good that will last for centuries, good that will go on. 
We've got this opportunity for, 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 with our money to do good that will outlast us. And I know for Elizabeth and I, it's been a real faith journey for us going on this, this journey and to do with, with our finances. So now it's your turn. All right. I'm going to say what no preacher ever says in a church, but is get your phones out, everyone. Um, I want you to have a go. I want you to write down five, or it could be less or more, but yeah, let's go five. I want you to write down five things you want to invest in before you die. Now, you can just cheat and copy mine, um, just to say you've done it and tick it off, but I'd love you to think about it. I'm going to give you a few moments just to think about it. Five things you'd love to invest in before you die. Just take a few moments. Now, don't be constrained by your current income or outgoings or, you know, if you've got debt, don't just set all that aside for a little minute and let's just dream a bit, okay? Let's just dream a bit. So I suppose my challenge here, just as we, as we finish, is I just love us all to get to the end of our lives and be like, oh, I'm so glad I invested in that, or I'm so glad I put money in that. And now is the time to make a plan to do that so that you can look back and be like, yes, I'm glad I put money to that. So I just want to encourage all of us here, over this next week, uh, I just encourage you to think about how you can invest your resources in what you really care about. How you can invest your money in what you really care about. Have a chat with different people, think about it, and make a plan. As Ecclesiastes says, better is how many? One handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Less is more. The writer of Ecclesiastes is suggesting here that it's, it's better to have a simpler life and have less but have some direction. You know what you're doing with your money than to have a misdirected life but to have a lot more. That's what he's getting at here. And you know, for, for Elizabeth and I, it's the way that looks like for us is we've got these things we want to prioritize. So like, you know, faith experiences for our kids. We've, we've booked a, a summer holiday where we're going to a place where there's some great kids work, kids teaching. Obviously that costs money. You know, we, we, we want to help the poor. We give, I don't know, a hundred quid or so to, to compassion each month. We're committed to seeing those kids grow into adulthood or from poor backgrounds. We obviously give to church. We tie to church. To do all of those things, you know, we, we need to do things in our lives. We need to live simply. We need to cut things out sometimes. We need to live in a way in how we're buying food and how we're doing clothes. So that allow us to, to do those things. But there's a direction. There's a kind of, there's a vision. There's a like, yeah, this is, what, this is why we're doing this. This is what we want to achieve. And I just want to encourage that for all of us. And what it, what it comes down to is it all comes down to focus. It comes down to focus. What... What are you focused on? And, and basically figuring out, this is what I'm focused on. This is what I'm going for. And then what you do is you basically say, okay, I'm going to live on less so I can see more of those things. Okay, that's a little bit of the less is more thing. I'm going to live on less so I can see more of 
those things. So it's about focusing on those things we want to see happen. But it's also about stepping back, not just on focusing on those things, but stepping back and focusing on the big picture. Be like, okay, there's heaven to come. There's treasure in heaven to be had. You know, I don't, I'm not going to live very long on this earth in the grand scheme of things. Eternity is to come. There's treasure in heaven. And I'm focusing on that, on the big picture. And when we focus on the big picture, that makes it so much easier to move from the more is better mindset to the less is more mindset. And when we look at Jesus, I mean, he's always our example, isn't he? When we look at Jesus and what he was focused on, when we look at Jesus and what his eyes were fixed on, Jesus' eyes were always fixed on what was to come. That was the key. You know, as it says in Hebrews 12, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. So for us, having our eyes fixed on Jesus and what's to come, that's the key in all of this. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, I'll finish with this, says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We fix our eyes on him, on the big picture, on what's to come. Amen? And that's how we develop a less is more mindset. Um, Because we know there's just a whole lot more coming our way in the future.